and welcome to today's Dell Technologies podcast, where we'll be looking at how government bodies can make best use of cloud services. If you're an IT decision maker within federal and state government tasked with implementing and leveraging cloud, this podcast is for you. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm a longtime tech journalist and regular TV and radio presenter. And cloud doesn't just mean public cloud. There's hybrid cloud and multi-cloud. Helping us understand how to choose the cloud solution most appropriate to our workloads is Ryan Tosotti, Principal Systems Engineer at Dell Technologies based in Brisbane. He'll also introduce us to Dell's hyperconverged infrastructure, VxRail. It's the first HCI system to be fully integrated with VMware Cloud Foundation software, Define Data Center Manager. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stephen. Great to meet you. Ryan, like me, is both a fan of rugby league and technology, and he has ideas on how data can be collected and used in rugby league to create new insights for coaches and fans, something I would love to look into with him. But before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsor and partner, VMware. Okay, let's get straight into it. I understand the process of choosing the best cloud option, public, hybrid, or multi-cloud, starts with the workload. But how do organizations translate workload details into optimal cloud deployment choices? I'd just love to start with a, a level set on cloud. And you alluded to this in your introduction, Stephen, around a few different cloud types, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud. Uh, the reason I want to level set on this is if I ask four different people what cloud is, I know I'm going to get four different answers. So I'm going to defer to the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Um, it's an often quoted definition of cloud that they give. They've got five characteristics of cloud. It's got to be on-demand self-service, so I can create the resources myself. It's got to have broad network access, so I can get to those resources from pretty much anywhere. I pool my resources. I've got rapid elasticity to grow those resources, and it's a measured service, okay? It's as a consumption-based model. Now, nowhere in the NIST definition does it talk about the where, okay? Then they get into, well, where do you want to deploy? You can go public cloud, you can go private cloud, you can go hybrid cloud. Now, if I look at the different clouds, they've each got their own strengths. If I'm to look at the different public cloud providers in Australia, you know, we've got one that's cut its teeth on developing, you know, that, that ecosystem of application development methodologies and frameworks. Uh, we've got another public cloud provider that's very strong with artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, getting insights out of your data. And we've got another public cloud provider, very good uh, office integration, productivity tool sets, uh, integration to remote desktops. Uh, we've also got private cloud where things such as, you know, specific performance requirements and um, data latency and data sovereignty are important points. Now, the customers I talk to want all of those things, right? I mean, they want to be able to work productively with the cloud. They want to get insights out of their data, you know, and they've got workloads that need uh, specific performance requirements. So, so each of the clouds has their strengths. Now, coming back to your question around um, workloads, right? It, it's a great point. It is about workloads and, and each of your workloads has specific requirements. Okay. So it's incumbent on 
uh, each organisation within government to have a look at your workloads. Do a bit of a mapping exercise around what performance requirements does your workload have? What data services does it require? Does it need replication? Do you need to take point-in-time copies? Um, Cost is probably going to be an important consideration as well for that workload. And as I mentioned, data sovereignty uh, could be a consideration. So, you know, there's really an exercise here to understand your workloads, understand the strengths of the clouds that are out there, and then match workloads to those clouds so you're going to get the best out of them. Now, the trick is to do this without creating complexity. Yeah, obviously finding the right fit is really important there. So what's your view, though, on the government cloud scene in general? Are they behind the private sector or are they leading it? So in the early days of, of cloud, you know, we saw private sector tending to be the early adopters of cloud and, uh, and in particular public cloud. So we saw some organisations pick up their entire workload estate, move it into a public cloud provider, and you know, there were mixed results. We've all heard horror stories, large operational expenditure bills that they weren't expecting, followed by workload repatriation. Okay, and that really was born from not understanding their workloads and what was best suited to moving to public cloud in the first place. So, so what we see now is government is catching up. So I think they're learning from some of the private sector lessons early on, and they're taking a more pragmatic approach. One example, I think this is often quoted, but I think it's a great one. The Department of Customer Service in New South Wales, they're using a mix of cloud technology, but also an agile application development methodology. So cloud's really the enabler that lets them change the way they're developing their services for citizens. And you know, being a citizen uh, of New South Wales yourself, Stephen, you know, you've got options like a digital driver's license now, digital boating licenses. I don't know if you're a boatie. Um, working with children checks, right? These are all available yeah. now. It is very and versatile, yeah. Them. The digital licenses are quite popular, actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a great initiative. And, you know, I think this is an example where uh, government has been very pragmatic and used the technology where it made sense. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a member of many private organisations and clubs. They haven't got digital cards yet, right? So in that, you know, way of thinking, government's actually leading that, uh, that uh, cloud adoption trend. Um, and probably an overall theme we saw early on with uh, cloud and government is there was a cloud-first mandate. And I think over time that's evolved into more of a cloud-appropriate mandate. Yeah, I'm all for things that make government departments work better for sure. For government organisations, though, one of the biggest barriers to using cloud is data sovereignty concerns. So how can they get the benefits of cloud while still maintaining data sovereignty? And when it comes to cloud, in what other ways is government different from the private sector? Yeah, data is really important. It's at the centre of everything. Uh, We don't have applications in our environment for the sake of applications. They're there to create, to make use of, and to get insights from data. Now, I think, you know, the big way that government's different from private sector is this uh, notion of data sovereignty. It's often a concern. And, you know, as a public servant who is making decisions about workload placement, uh, you are custodians of your citizens' data, okay? It's my data too. So, 
Um, you know, that, that's a concern. Now, there is this US Cloud Act of 2018, right? Now, what, what the US Cloud Act does is it allows a federal law enforcement to compel US-based technology companies to provide data stored on their servers, regardless of whether those servers are in the US or if they're elsewhere, for example, in Australia. So that's a data point, okay? And there's another data point, the Australian Cyber Security Centre in 2019, so the year after the Cloud Act came out, uh, they came uh, and released a, a cyber supply chain white paper. And really it was a, a practitioner's guide. And they warned government departments and large organisations in Australia of introducing extrajudicial influence into their supply chain. Okay, so that's a second data point. Now, Stephen, this is a bit of a uh, rabbit hole. We've had Senate hearings because of the COVID Safe app. You know, it got very political. Makes for interesting reading. You know, if you're that way inclined. Yeah, sure does. Yeah, but but the the takeaway here is that you know, again, to underline a point here, understand the workloads, and importantly, understand the classifications of your data. Now, with the certified cloud list going away in July last year, it's now up to each government department to make their own risk-based assessments on each cloud offerings. It used to be a list. These are the anointed clouds that government could use. Um, that's finished now, right? So it's now incumbent on all uh, government uh, decision makers to make these risk-based assessments for themselves. And that's why you know, it's important to understand all the different things that can go into where you should place your data. Now, uh, at Dell Technologies, we've got a way to keep your data sovereign, uh, but still leverage the benefits that the public cloud providers in particular can offer. So it's a real interesting way to have your cake and eat it too. So we call this cloud-connected storage and think of it as having your data sitting very close to, adjacent, but not inside public cloud. Um, and, you know, that's got other benefits as well. You can have your data set leveraged from multiple public cloud providers and private cloud at the same time. Um, so, look, I mean, that, that's the big way that, that government differs from private sector when it comes to cloud, that data sovereignty aspect. Um, and, look, I think the other big way is the motive or the why to use cloud. If you look at private sector, you know, they're looking at cloud as a way to get that competitive edge, to stay relevant in the marketplace, to introduce new offerings before your competitors do. And, you know, it's the adoption of those cloud technologies that's going to give them the edge. Now, to contrast that with government, they've got a monopoly, okay? You've got defence, you've got local government services, you've got state main roads departments. No one can, can take that natural monopoly away from them, right? So, so their use of cloud has a different motive. Um, they're seeing cloud as a means to improve their interaction with citizens. And if I stand back and look at it holistically, uh, they're seeing cloud as a way to progress the nation. Yeah, that's a great explanation of how government really has to embrace this and uh, to, to move forward. So we, we've, we know that the, the pandemic has had huge impact on, on everybody, uh, including the government. So what impact has it had on their use of cloud services? Yeah, quite early on, if we were looking back to, say, March or April 2020, there were projects that 
government had the multi-year initiatives to get their workforce working remotely. And what we saw is that those timeframes were greatly compressed. Government found a way to make it happen, okay? Um, so we saw, you know, these remote working projects that would have taken 12 or 18 months, they took six weeks. You know, I've never seen government move that quickly. So that that for me was... Um, yeah, it's... Isn't it amazing how the pandemic really put the blowtorch to a lot of things we had to do? And once we realised, okay, this has to be done, it kind of forced us into it and we, we did it in, in, as you said, much shorter time. Absolutely. And I think there's, there's a learning there that, you know, government can move where it makes sense, where there is that imperative uh, and, and where there are benefits. And I think, I hope that that actually stays within government, that thinking, right, that we can do this given the, uh, the right motivation. Um, so that, that for me was the big takeaway. There was a, you know, a massive spike in cloud and in particular public cloud services. If we go looking at that, um, let's say April through June timeframe, 2020, there was another interesting byproduct of that. And that was that these public cloud providers aren't an endless, uh, pool of resources, right? At the end of the day, they're managing data centers. They've got infrastructure putting in there to provide services to others. And with this massive spike, we actually found scenarios where uh, some providers couldn't actually meet the spike in demand. So we saw a triaging of new requests come in. And I think that hit home as well for uh, some of these organizations saying, well, you know, it, 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 it's not like electricity where you just turn it on and it's there. You know, they also need to do their planning as well from the the cloud point of view to make sure that they can handle that spike in demand. So again, you know, it required an understanding of workloads and what workloads should live where. Um, and I think that's that's kind of uh, come into the thinking now within government. Ryan, I know that many organisations find it something of a challenge to get the skills needed to simply manage public cloud if they are serious users. Hybrid and multi-cloud must mean considerable additional complexity and skills challenges. What, what's your take on this? And do you see the lack of skills constraining government entities' cloud options? I mentioned earlier the process of going through what work workloads should sit where is very important. And the reason is that so that government organisations can get the outcomes that they expect from moving their workloads to cloud. And I also mentioned that this can create additional complexity. If I'm an operational team now and I'm being asked to manage workloads sitting on three or four or five different cloud endpoints, you know, each with their own management tools, their own um, management methodologies and frameworks and security policies, you know, you, you're going to have to skill up on all of these different clouds the way they do things. Now, unchecked, that's the default path, right? This is the path that some organizations are on. So, to answer the question, if you're on the de default path, absolutely, you know, there will be a lack of skills that are going to constrain the options that you have of where you move your workloads to. Uh, and especially in federal government, uh, anyone that's ever worked um, in Canberra knows that hiring security cleared cloud skilled staff is a challenge. So that's, that's I guess, the default path. Uh, Dell Technologies, we believe there's a better path, okay, and that's implementing a cloud management platform, uh, or as I would like to call it, a, a control plane for your clouds. Now, the advantage of that is skills that 
government already has invested in can be transferred to this control plane. And the reason is this control plane is based on well-known, well-understood technologies used within government today. Ryan, can you explain to us what VxRail is and its importance for a hybrid cloud strategy? Many years ago, three-tier infrastructure was the way that we uh, created our stacks within data centers, okay? And that was you know, done for many, many years. It's where I cut my teeth. You had teams focused on their part of the stack. You had your storage experts, you had your server uh, people, you had your networking greybeards. That's how it was done for many, many years. And, you know, where it fell down is when there's a problem, there's finger pointing, the storage guys are talking to the server guys and the server guys are complaining about the network guys. It's just just how it happened, right? And so, so you had these experts, you had these SMEs. So... A few years ago, hyperconverged came along, right? This was a different way of doing infrastructure. So rather than having your storage silos and your server silos and your networking silos, um, we collapsed those tiers into a simple node-based architecture. And what it really did is it made managing infrastructure easier. Uh, within each node, you've got all the components. You've got your server, sorry, your server. Within each node, you've got your CPU, you've got your memory, You've got your storage, you've got your networking, and you've got your virtualization. And it made being able to uh, grow your environment, manage your environment a lot easier. And so VxRail has been a market leader in this space for many years. Now, uh, over time, the VxRail offering has evolved, now takes the form of a private cloud. So the five characteristics of cloud that I mentioned earlier around you know, pay as you use, it's got to be elastic, it's got to be pooled. Uh, that's what you get today if you are to look at that VxRail offering on-premises. Now, if I sort of contrast that with public cloud infrastructure as a service, so if I go and stand up some, some virtual machines in one of the hyperscalers, uh, me as a user isn't managing the firmware on those servers. I'm not having to look up a compatibility list of my network cards versus my my you know my drivers to make sure it all should work, right? That's all abstracted from me as the administrator. So that same ease of management is what VxRail brings to the on-premises private cloud. There's a single update bundle that gets run. It takes the VxRail environment from a known good state to a known good state. So you get that certainty of outcome. So you're getting that public cloud-like experience, but on-premises. Now, what we do with VxRail is we seamlessly integrate northbound into our cloud management platform or control plane. And that really is our secret source. But VxRail is also relevant for government, isn't it? So why is that integration important? Yeah, earlier I touched on skills and again, you want to avoid complexity that can come with having these multiple clouds under management. And, and VxRail is that on-premises private cloud. It's, it's abstracting your day-to-day infrastructure watering and feeding from the operational team. So let's shift that up a bit higher. Let's look at that cloud control plane. So the same thing that VxRail has done for the on-premises private cloud we now do over multiple cloud endpoints 
using VMware Cloud Foundation. And that's that control plane. That's going to abstract the intricacies of each cloud from the operational team. So instead, your operational team, instead of worrying about all the different public clouds and how they manage their environment and how they do things, you have your operational team focusing on the control plane, the policies for how you implement your workloads, where you should place those workloads, looking at reporting uh, and also looking at monitoring to make sure that you're getting the outcomes you're expecting of those workload placements. Can you tell us where VxRail is being used by government organisations in Australia? Yeah, there's some really interesting use cases. Uh, One I can speak to rather uh, generically is we have a government organisation responsible for satellite communication. Uh, And as you can imagine, it's a fairly critical capability. And in this team, we have generalists, okay? We have generalists supporting their environment. It's a small team. And the solution had to be easy. Uh, But more importantly, it had to be reliable. Right? We talk about the capability here. This can't go down. Okay, so uh, they've implemented a VxRail solution stretched across two sites for high availability. Uh, so I, you know, I think that's a really interesting uh, application of this technology for a critical capability. Um, but more broadly, within government in Australia, the overwhelming use case we see is infrastructure simplica- simplification uh, and consolidation. So the vast majority of government workloads are well suited to that VxRail private cloud architecture. We see customers at local, state, federal, using VxRail to host their general purpose virtualized workloads. All government departments, though, have a citizen-facing role looking to make customer engagement and customer experience digital. You touched on it before. How important is cloud support for this? Yeah, cloud's crucial to the way governments are going to implement new citizen interacting services and also transforming the way existing services are being provided. A recent survey of customers in in the Asia-Pacific region showed that the top two reasons that government organisations and other private organisations adopting cloud are firstly new technology, so Government and organisations are saying, if we want that new thing that's going to help us implement that new service, it's going to be cloud that's going to be how we're going to get that new technology. And the second reason is digital transformation. It's an often used term, I know, but in this scenario, uh, customers are saying that the business processes that we have, we are going to use cloud as the means to transform that process. So, you know, really cloud is the means or the way that government will change the way it interacts with citizens and ultimately progresses our nation. So being customer facing, of course, it has to, it has to work, has to be efficient. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it's got to be proven. There are many examples, and I, I gave you one before about Services New South Wales. And these are now proven technologies now in the Australian uh, market. So I think you know, in some ways they've been held up as the shining light. And I think other organizations are saying, well, actually, we can do this now. Have a look at what they've done. Ryan, what's a key takeaway you'd like to leave the audience with today? Yeah, so firstly, cloud's not a place and cloud isn't the goal. Uh, cloud is the means to the end. It's the way you're going to introduce that new service. 
or fundamentally change the way that you're interacting with your end users, which in this case is citizens of Australia. Uh, next, it's really un- important to understand your workloads and what you're doing with your workloads because only then can you know where they should run so that you can get the outcomes that you're expecting and, and really be able to get the insights out of the data. And for those workloads where it makes sense to keep them on-premises, for example, data sovereignty reasons or for performance reasons, VxRail is the perfect foundation for a private cloud to host these workloads. That's all we have time for today. Thank you to Ryan for joining me and to the audience. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dell Technologies cloud offerings, please visit delltechnologies.com.au. Thank you once again to our sponsor and partner, VMware. Thanks for listening. Goodbye and have a great day.